Welcome to Health Impressions, the show about authority, acquisition, and retention. I'm your co-host, Brian Cush, co-founder of Title Health Group, a digital marketing agency specializing in healthcare. I'm accompanied by Jay Parkinson, Chief Medical Officer of SANA, a health plan that delivers high-quality healthcare while keeping costs down. Our show focuses on the cross-sections of marketing, patient experience, and product development. We explore strategies for providing high-quality care, enhancing patient experience, and retention through cutting-edge technologies. We'll be speaking with like-minded industry leaders who will be sharing their learnings and spilling some secrets, too. All right, welcome to the show. We have Matt Fitzgerald from Tend. He's the chief marketing officer. Tend is a modern service and technology brand reimagining the dental experience. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat today. Yeah, I'd love to dive right in. On a, on a personal side, I'm curious to understand you have some amazing experience, some previous non-healthcare, of maybe what drew you into the healthcare field now. So for me, it, it honestly is quite a, a personal question is that I really have to love what I do. I have to be excited every morning. I'm, I'm not just some like mercenary that shows up in a category that has, you know, big TAM and high margins and, you know, off to the moon we go. Uh, and so I was at HelloFresh before this and, and I really love cooking at home. And the thought that I could help maybe more Americans cook a real meal, like with real food at home, maybe put their phones down and come together at the dinner table to chat. I was like, that's that's an amazing way to spend a work day. And then you could build a fun consumer brand. It doesn't have to be so serious. And um, we were able to do a lot of that and to see the impact we had nationally and now globally, uh, I'm really proud of that. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of health and wellness properties to, you know, having a decent diet and a fun, healthy, you know, home dynamic. Um, and so for me, when I made this switch to healthcare, I actually saw a lot of similar values, right? Where you're you're helping people, you know, they have maybe a, a health need or even just a personal goal um, that they're trying to solve for. Um, it is in a category right now that doesn't maybe have the highest NPS. Um, people are maybe reluctant to go much the way they're reluctant to cook uh, many nights. Um, the fact that, you know, People sometimes struggle with their care. They just stop going. And maybe there is an exciting way to introduce a concept to get them to participate more actively in their care. And so I just thought it was pretty inspiring, you know, to spend a day trying to help people solve one of many healthcare topics that are complicated and sometimes hard to understand. Uh, and so, and I take very good care of my own teeth, I think. Um, it's something I always have done. And so like, again, I, I randomly do love this category and I did beforehand, you know, like one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes is the one, you know, with the dentist. And so like, it's just, it, it, it's genuine, it's real. And, and the ability to try to help people, uh, I think makes for a fun day of work. No, I love that personal connection. I think that's something Jay, Jay and I certainly share is, is making healthcare a lot more accessible. Like you're saying kind of breaking down some previous stigmas and, leading with the consumer and patient into that journey. I think that's even a funnier and perfect segue as the Seinfeld comment. Uh, you and I are both in New York. Uh, our exposure to Tend was the open the studios here. I'm curious, it seemed Tend really did uh, some market research and oftentimes it's seen actually the opposite direction, but you chose to explore and expand into urban settings. I'm really curious to understand that, that dynamic. 
Yeah, that is bucking the trend in this category uh, for sure. Um, I think if we take just one step back, even before, say, Urban or Urban Core was the center of our strategy, we said, hey, let's go build a big, beautiful brand, right? We kind of looked at the marketplace and said, well, brand isn't really being leveraged. In some examples, it is, but not in a kind of modern, tech-enabled uh, way. And so we thought, wow, brand. Then we said, wait a second, we're not seeing any kind of branded multi-site healthcare concepts, at least in dental, in cities, and certainly not in New York. Uh, and so we said, you know what? New York is the biggest dental market. It seems like there's opportunity uh, to build out a network within, you know, kind of the New York metro area. Uh, and of course, we would have been remiss if we didn't say, hey, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Uh, and so we went, you know, pretty aggressively, I would say, into the brand and all of the studio design work and launching in amazing neighborhoods kind of, you know, throughout New York. And so um, it's not easy. People are, oh, it's going to be expensive and competitive. And, you know, they tell you all the reasons you can't do something. And I think that emboldened us to do something. Um, and so, you know, you fast forward a few years, we have 11 locations and I think starting to get some brand awareness and, and recognition. Um, and I think that that, you know, strategy has paid off. Yeah, I'd love to steer into that brand concept a bit more where there's the, the providers giving care and there's a brand and a loyalty on an indiv individual level, but there's obviously a, a brand that you've established. How do you think about that balance between kind of provider and, and, and company brand? Yeah, I mean, clinical credibility, clinical excellence, high standard of care is exceptionally uh, important to us. But we think in support of that, that the brand is kind of almost the infrastructure to enable both doctor and patient participation. Because if we look at our brand and now it is served in multiple markets, it's served in the digital environment, it's served in the mobile environment uh, through our app, we're actually able to extend continuity of care almost anywhere you are. So if you wanna move neighborhoods, Great. That doesn't mean the end of your relationship with your doctor, because sometimes that happens. If you change jobs and all of a sudden your insurance changes and you're like, oh, man, I don't really have access to my doctor in the same way that I used to. You don't have to worry about that. Switching practices is painful. You have to, one, do x-rays and all that stuff all over again. Here, your clinical history is in your profile, which is also in the app. You have all of your appointments, all the case notes, x-rays, photographs, any goals you've kind of indicated. Um, and that just kind of comes with you. And so the, the brand enables that kind of facilitation um, of care. Um, and that's why we thought it was so important um, to, to introduce that in this category. No, I appreciate that. I, I, I'd love to dig in and start to understand you went from New York, one location up to 11, and you had some really uh, succinct inf information around kind of your go-to-market strategy and really the, the priority of that. I, I'd love some kind of lens behind some learnings as you scale from one to lend, uh, to 11? Well, before we even had one, you come up with wild ideas, right? You get to like ideate for, this was a little over a year because you're building out a brick and mortar. And sometimes those ideas seem good when you're like in a room together with five people sticking stuff up on a whiteboard and then you move into the practice of operating. And so one example was at some point someone said, well, we should have a tea service. So just in case someone is waiting and, you know, to see the dentist, we could offer tea. And everyone's like, yeah, that's great. That's 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 going to be just so different than anywhere else. And then someone said, how do you possibly build a tea service at national scale? You know, so that was just one of those where we maybe got a little a little carried away. Um, 
when we first launched and were announcing the company, we had, and probably what was, you know, maybe a bit trite, a lot of ads and imagery of just smiling people. Well, that could have been anything, right? That could have been a toothpaste company. That could have been a vacation company, you know? And so when we started to shift to showing, actually, it's the digital experience people want to see. It's the studio location and the environment. It's the doctors. Once we started to put forward really what is making us difference, the engagement with our content started to go uh, through the roof, actually. And so we, you know, we learned from, you know, kind of these initial, you know, offerings, even how we design our studios. You know, the first one is probably too small. You know, it has five operatories and we have more demand than we could possibly ever service there. Um, so we can expand them and, and we have now. So some of them have 10 or 12 operatories. And that kind of scale is important, not just for the patient demand. It also allows us to increase the variety of services, which has changed dramatically from the beginning. At first, it was hygiene and restorative and some other, I would say, um, less involved uh, procedures. And today, you fast forward to today, it is restorative. It is orthodontics. It is oral surgery. It is emergency. It's endodontics. The space allows us to do that. Right. We just have more capability. So now we have specialty staff in addition to our, uh, our our dentists and we're able to serve a greater need, which is wonderful, because as you enter our ecosystem, if at some point someone's like, oh, we got to remove your wisdom teeth, we don't have to refer you out. We can actually refer you to our specialists because we want to be able to have line of sight into your full care and treatment plans. We want to know that, well, it's going to be of a certain quality, even if you're going to a different location. And that's something that we we just didn't have on day one, which we do now. And um, and when we open new doors or new markets, we have a plan on when we start to introduce these additional services. Um, so that was a big evolution for us, you know, from the from the early days of launch. Yeah, I'm curious to dig in. Has your marketing approach shifted as you've then added on these kind of ancillary services, or do you still think the brand, kind of the more general dentistry, is the entry point? And then internal marketing, or is it pull some color so into that? Yeah. So the very traditional entry point is through hygiene, right? Most people form a new relationship with a dentist through a new member, you know, a new patient visit, right? And that's predominantly how we still market, right? Um, we still only, you know, three of our locations have just turned three. So we're still very early in our journey. So there's still a lot of awareness work that we do. Tend is, and then fill in the frame of reference and why we're different and why you should give us a try. So there's a lot of that. However, um, we do promote ortho, you know, and, and we have a couple of different orthodontic options. Um, you kind of have to in that category. That's a very competitive uh, category because uh, there are some large DTC companies uh, that exist in the space. Uh, you know, there's some very traditional manufacturers, uh, like a line that exists in the space. And so you just, that one, you kind of have to, um, it's hard, but we do. So we, we do some direct uh, ortho, orthodontic advertising uh, and then emergency. Uh, those are kind of the three that we support with marketing. Um, because again, that's in the moment of need, you want to be able to contact someone fast. And one of our advantages is so many locations, six days a week, long hours. Um, most offices don't do that. That's a lot, you know? Um, and so for emergency, we're a great platform because you probably can find an open tent almost any day of the week. Um, so those are the three and that's changed where we have to now balance the mix from the beginning when it really was 100% hygiene focused. 
do you have a lot of data underneath? I'm curious to understand if there's a, how much of a brand loyalty and kind of a recurrence there is when they come in on the emergency side versus the general side. Yeah. So I would say data is one of the things that like I insist upon when we're starting the company. Um, I think that is like, I come from a, you know, pretty aggressive DTC background. And, you know, if you can't track it, you either can't spend it or can't do it. And so it is really important for us, whether it's in our paid environment, on our site, even our organic channels, um, even once you're kind of into our database, you know, that we really do understand your behavior and what is compelling action. And so uh, we've really committed to that. We have something that we call 10 core, which is our data warehouse. And then we work with a couple of other kind of support systems to make sure that we do understand, you know, are you coming back for your recare visit? Are you seeking additional services? You know, if we're communicating with you, right, through CRM, are you annoyed by our communications, right? Are you unsubscribing? Have you stopped opening stuff, right? Because we need to have a long-term relationship with you, right? We can't violate that trust by, you know, emailing you every day and uh, things like that, right? I think trust in the and a healthcare category, it's probably the single biggest attribute, right? That you have to be good at. Um, and so there's this balance that we absolutely have to do. And the data has to tell us that. Um, we use NPS as one of the biggest governance uh, metrics, I would say, and that feedback loop just tells us so much. You know, people are very forward, very specific, uh, and they tell us like, even over time, if they've come back three, four, five times, is the experience state elevated? Okay, if it hasn't, what's changing? Is that something that we need to address to make sure they stay a patient of ours? Um, and so I love feedback. You know, it can be hard to read sometimes, but if you're really good at feedback and you're willing to evolve the organization, you can stay at an elevated level. Um, and so that has really helped um, having that kind of culture from day one, um, because you know, without that, I think there's a little too much. Um, than preference that would that would cloud decision making. How did you determine what locations and what neighborhoods you would put your studios in? So it's quite a process. Uh, it probably takes about a year. You know, you probably have like thirty LOIs out at any one time, right? I mean, it's quite real estate is 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 quite a process. We look at a tremendous amount of data. I think it's like forty five or fifty variables. Um, there are some obvious ones, right? Like what is the demographic of an area? What are the other tenants look like, right? Are there people that we wanna be next to? Like, hey, maybe we're co-located with the one medical, right? That, that could be a significant indicator that there is demand. Um, there's a big labor component here that we have to try to assess. So we have to try to look at the dental population, the hygienist population, dental assistants, you know, and then where are they living and how commutable is it, right? Because we build locations from scratch. It's really important for us to own the full experience from the digital to the physical environment. And as part of that, we do want to build from scratch so that we own every detail inside our studios. Um, and so we therefore have to hire staff, right? We're not acquiring staff. And so that's hard. And so the labor component, there's many metrics there, but you know, that, that is something that we look at long and hard um, because, you know, we, if we don't staff them adequately, uh, it's hard to make it work. Do you have any, uh, I'm sure you do, um, data around uh, percent of, you know, new members who basically just like see the shingle hanging up on the, in the neighborhood 
and, and walk in versus, you know, online acquisition? Yeah, sure. So uh, I think it's a complicated question, actually, because I think it's like the totality of the touch points, right, that can engender recall and maybe even action to the site. But I'm proud that our direct and organic percentage is darn close to 50%, you know, which is pretty solid, actually, because that would demonstrate some efficient um, kind of communication. And that's from a marketing point of view, not from maybe like a company point of view, but that's one of the bets on brand, right? Brand makes marketing more efficient, not less efficient, which I think sometimes people think, oh, brand, you're going to do Super Bowl ads and Times Square billboards and crazy experiential concepts. That's not really true. If you build it a certain way, in theory, at some point in the future, the brand should do a lot of the heavy lifting, right? So that people are like, oh, amazing. There's a tent in my neighborhood now. Like, I'm going to tell everybody, right, just by hanging the shingle. Um, we're not there yet because we're still new and you got to you know, work hard to create that kind of awareness and, and linkage to your concept. Um, but, yes, I, I, I think that that is why you do this. He wrote about that uh, concept, this kind of like anti-traditional brand advertising. I really love the line you use. It was a ruthless focus on efficiency and CAC. Uh, I'd love to like dig into that a little bit more. If, if maybe the lens is like, what are maybe some non-traditional KPIs that you're using to kind of keep that focus? Well, I think, you know, we set things up, you know, I so I think of growth marketing more as an ethos, right? And enabling the teams to kind of perform it really high levels. And so uh, for me, it is, you know, first, how do you set the team up, right? Because I think if you set the team up a certain way and you have the right KPIs for each part of the team, then they can go do something about it, right? They're not dependent on other parts of the organization. So we certainly do have our paid teams, right? Looking after digital channels, even some above the line channels out of home. We've done podcasts, if you want to call that above the line now. Um, I had someone from the very beginning exclusively focus on conversion rate optimization. Um, it's the most sensitive um, KPI in all of marketing. So if your site works really, really, really well, it makes everything else look so much better. Um, and it impacts financial planning and, and the whole nine. And someone on CRM, right? I think you're a patient. What, you know, you need to be reminded of when and where your appointment is. And then you got to set up your loops. And conversion rate's kind of one of them, but we have a referral program that supports all of these initiatives. Um, and so once you do that, and then you kind of hopefully fill the roles with great people, it is about, okay, how do we go fast? How do we get stuff out the door quickly? You know, how do we, you know, it doesn't have to be great. Better is better. You know, like don't overthink it. Let's always, always be test and learning like in all environments. Cause if we're not, we're missing an opportunity to learn, you know, how to make it better. Um, and you know, fast, go fast and then track it, analyze it. Did it work? Share it, scale it. Like, let's go. And so I try to kind of embolden the team to think that way you know, um, and to behave that way. Um, and so they all kind of have a culture of acquisition costs and efficiency and, you know, being very numerate and how we go about things to remove some personal bias um, from things. So I, I, I know that's like probably a little vague, but at the same time, I think it's like how you kind of get the team oriented, you know, to have maximum impact. Yeah, can we dig into the tactical more? Is there any, from that kind of one to 11, is there learnings maybe in, even channel or even a sequence of channel that I'm assuming there's probably this kind of new market strategy that you hit a threshold where then referral really probably tips over. 
Agreed. Agreed. So referral is a lagging indicator, but it supports everything, right? Um, which is terrific. It's like an always on channel. So it, there is, a, to your point though, there is very much a difference between new and existing, right? And so our new mix is quite a bit different. You know, when we're going into a new market, like we launched Nashville um, in September of last year, all of a sudden you're looking at out of home, you're looking at Maybe we have these kind of fun street teams. We have this like custom pattern that we created for 10, this like green, we call it swishy swirly pattern. And we turn those into jumpsuits and people with giant toothbrushes and they go take silly photos in iconic locations in our markets, right? Because you have to be local. Um, it gets the word out, you know, they go to the festivals and hand out cards. Um, you know, we might do podcast, radio, we did some streaming uh, TV or connected TV. Um, so you might be willing to accept a slightly higher cost structure as you're just, again, hey, we're new, we're here. We try to switch on a lot of earned media, so PR. I mean, we do a lot of things in that first three months before we open to get some awareness, get some traffic to the site, capture a lot of emails to say like, hey, you'll be the first to know when we're bo accepting bookings. But once the practice opens and starts to fill up, then we have to be very disciplined right? Because there's limited inventory and you have one chair hour that you can never get back. So overbooking is not a good idea or booking way too far out. is not a good idea because eventually that just is inefficient pack and it will actually inflate our acquisition costs. So we watch it very carefully. We have to try to calibrate inventory with demand. And then you may see a reversion to a social search, uh, always referral. We still do email capture and have drips against that. Um, but you may see a more limited mix as a result. Yeah, so you mentioned 90 days out to launch. Is that, have you found that that's universal or is that market specific? You know, it's, 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 that one's probably more art than science. Um, it always gives our finance team a little bit of unease because we're spending money <laughs> in advance of an open. Um, that's like a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Um, we do that because we get our window vinyls up. I don't know, call it six months before. There's a little bit of like lead capture on that QR code. It leads to a landing page. If you're curious, not a lot of people engage with that. If you think about it, you're walking past. Are you really going to stop and be excited by a new dental office? In the digital environment, it works a lot better. An email capture or SMS capture, I mean, is the future, right? One-to-one -one marketing, personal data. Um, and then we, we find that due to the willingness of, of someone to contribute information, they're much more high intent. And so if for multiple months, we build up this lead pool. We now have an asset that we can communicate against and we find it to be very effective. Not only do they book appointments, they go to appointments, they have better retention profiles. Um, and it really does make sense because you know they were willing to take action in advance of the open. Um, and so we always love that because whenever we do like our email campaigns to start to say, hey, we're opening, you see just amazing performance. I'm curious to, to kind of change the tone a little bit. You have a unique lens of coming into the healthcare industry. Is there anything that uh, either surprised you that was the same or different looking at your previous experience? Uh, yes, quite a bit. Um, so my last job at HelloFresh, you just went for broke because you could, right? There, we have a lot of facilities. You can sell a lot of boxes every week. If we missed our numbers one week, you just sell two boxes the next week. Right. And you can do that through selling a lot of stuff or email or referral programs. Right. I mean, there's just, you just keep going and going and going. That's not true here. My comment about inventory management is, is was something I had to learn because 
you may be under your acquisition cost like allowable, but just selling more inventory or, or booking more inventory isn't necessarily a good thing. Like, is it a good thing to be unavailable for three months, six months, or is that going to turn into some kind of like acquisition waste because nobody's going to keep their appointment four months from now? So you really have to right size it, calibrate it in moment. It's almost like a rolling two weeks kind of thing, um, just so that we're really smart, you know, with how we're spending. Uh, previous DTC world and probably still prevalent in the DCT heavy promotions. You know, that's that's a mechanic that you know moves the needle. Is it good? Well, I think you could debate it. You really can't do that in, in healthcare. You know, there's a lot of regulation to suggest you cannot incent a visit to a doctor. Um, so you can't just say, hey, $100 off your first visit. You know, you, you really can't do that. You can't work with affiliates, right? Because you can't have like a revenue sharing model. Um, those are big levers in my last job, you know? And so I kind of had to say, okay, we're going to have to go around about this in a slightly different way. Um, and the third thing is, though I did feel this to an extent at HelloFresh, you know, you're sending people real food and they're going to eat it. And sometimes food makes can make people sick or they might not trust it, right? I mean, it does happen in our supply chain, but not too often. Healthcare is different. You're potentially changing someone. You're helping them get better care. Like the objective um, has to be taken, I think, with the utmost care and respect. Um, and so just to like do some of the clickable stuff that you might in a different category, like I don't know if that is... You, know, you have permission to do that in healthcare. Um, and you really have to, I don't think it's just performance marketing. I think it's actually preparation to become a long-term adopter of the service. Um, and that is a bit different than like a subscription model with high churn, right? It just, it just is. Um, so there was like a, a psychological component that was different here. Yeah. I'm curious to dig in. You referenced that two week time period and, and maybe tell me where I'm on or off with this thought is, is the inverse of that problem then? Are you looking at that two weeks and going, well, I'll dial up our acquisition cost to fill that unit economics and you're kind of swinging it more wildly than you would have, say, in like your previous role? Yeah, so there, there's almost like a real-time component. There's like a day trading element almost, you know, to this sort of stuff. Um, what we look at is, so you can book beyond two weeks, but we do some things to try to ensure that you're high intent if you're booking, say, a month out. For a new member only. Now, for a recare visit, we'll do the traditional, hey, we'll book you in chair for six months from now. That's best practice. But we'll look at each studio and we'll look at their inventory and we look at it to start the week. And some studios may require additional support. Um, and so we call it like support our studio program. And so then, yeah, we'll start to think about, you know, can we invest a little bit more, say, in the mid-Atlantic if it's looking a little slow for a week or two? Um Maybe we ask some influencers to go because that seems to have, you know, they seem to make credible recommendations. Um, is there any super local media that would want to cover, you know, Ted? So we might expand our mix a little bit, but be very geo-targeted to, to really zero in on a studio or two that might just need a little boost um, that week. We don't do it kind of globally. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, I'm curious on a, on, a, on a personal side too, any predictions maybe for tend or the, the kind of healthcare marketing field that you see coming down? So I think this multi-site thing has got a lot of legs. I mean, I see so many, what's fun about healthcare from like more of a brand and comms point of view 
is you have so many adjacent categories where you can talk to fellow marketers or operations leaders or founders or whoever it might be. And you can kind of share what's going on. And I mean, I think you are seeing the rise of these, you know, well put together, branded, you know, multi-site concepts. Um, you know, you have Tia and Everbody, you know, certainly the Pioneer One Medical, Oak Street just had a big exit. Like, I mean, you're seeing more and more of it, Carbon Health. I mean, it's just and on and on and on it goes. And I think that that's great. You know, I, I think expanding the number of endpoints where people can access care, maybe be optimistic about what that care can mean. Um, like, why can't the healthcare system have, you know, an amazing experience? Like, why can't, you know, we use technology to make booking easier or payments easier, right? Or, you know, better diagnostic tools, right? I mean, there are some AI developments, at least in dental, to help spot cavities. And then, hey, I said you have a cavity. They also said you have a cavity. I mean, it's some cool stuff that's finally entering the category. Like, why can't we expect that from this category or really any other healthcare category? Like, I think it's, it is high time. And I think I read somewhere that like healthcare is 10 years behind FinTech, which is probably 10 years, you know, behind some other consumer trends. So, like, I think it's the right time to kind of bring, you know, start with the consumer and work backwards to make it a better experience. And I can tell you that the reason I think that is that when we get feedback, and I underappreciated this in the category, is that people will say they stop going. You know, they had a bad experience and they were traumatized. The thought of going is very stressful and unpleasant. When they're there, they're just not themselves and everything about it, the sights, the sounds, the smells, all just make it worse. And not going is the worst thing you can do. By not participating in your care, bad outcomes are going to be introduced. If you go more frequently, if you take better care of yourself at home, you're gonna have a better outcome. And so I think if we and other concepts can understand that and create environments and experiences you know, that actually are, I don't know if I can call it fun, but are at least like enjoyable, less stressful. Like, I think we could do that. And that's why we even created the line, look forward to the dentist, you know? I mean, people laughed at us with that line. I mean, it's a great line, but it's ridiculous. And that's exactly what people say to us. They're like, wow, I actually look forward to going now. You know, like that's a really cool outcome. You know, one of the things that I, I always say that I, I say healthcare is 30 years behind, you know, pop culture. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, what I think is great about that though, is I also say that, you know, it's better to be fourth mover in healthcare than it is first mover. You know, like I started funny enough, um, a, a company, hello health, uh, in 2008 in Williamsburg in Brooklyn cool. and similar sort of thing. It was very like around the same time when medical was starting. And mm -hmm. at the time, we had to like really invest heavily in like explaining what an elevated experience is for healthcare. And the nice thing is now you don't really need to do that. You can just have a really lovely brand and say like, Oh, we have an app. We have a great service. We have a great you know team of professionals. And, you know, like, like you mentioned, one medical being the pioneer, of that, it's just like, you can just kind of like ride those coattails and uh, it's just a different world. Well, what's cool is Tom Lee who founded one medical uh, is an investor uh, in Tend and was kind of part of the early conversations, you know, as we were conceptualizing, uh, you know, how we are going to do this. Um, and so his linkage to those early days was really, really helpful. Definitely.
That's awesome. I didn't know he was an investor or something. Yeah, I mean that's obvious. Oh some real, like, luminaries. I mean, like David Neal from Morby, who like again, like they're they're leaning more into the like health side of vision, right? With contacts and ophthalmologists being on site, and clearly they are one of the pioneers of like, hey, let's build a big, beautiful brand and vision, and let's treat the consumer the the right way to treat the consumer. Um, so like, it, it that's what I mean. These adjacencies, there's so much value in understanding them and talking to people in those categories because. It's non-competitive, right? And maybe then, you know, all boats rise with the tides kind of thing. And I think that that, like, that's cool in this category. Definitely. And there's just so much to go. I mean, you know, you only have 11 studios right now. It's, like, feasible to say there's 2,000 more opportunities and, and, and if not more. In, yeah, in so we, we have 11, area, in, right? 11 in New York, 23 in five markets. We'll probably be at about 25 by midsummer. Um, but correct. It's a very, it's a very big market. Thank goodness. Um, and we, we think, you know, we can kind of continue to focus on cities and keep moving West. And, you know, as long as we're delivering, you know, the right level of care and, and the concept continues to resonate. Um, I agree with you. And I, I, we'd love to be dental's innovator for a really long time, right? Like that is the goal. Cause I'm sure there are things we do today that we stink at and we can get a whole lot better or things that we don't even know about yet that we can, you know, either work with people or create ourselves. And that's really exciting. Like I, I felt like in meal kits, you didn't always know what to do next. And a lot of times it was just beating back negative press. Oh, this is a fad and it's never going to work and all that good stuff. But here, sometimes it's so obvious, you know, you're just like, oh, there's so many ways to make the experience better and to use technology to do so. And, you know, to, you know, help providers get better at their trade. I mean, it just, it, it's so, there are so many things that we can do, which is really exciting to have such, you know, robust pipelines for process improvement. Like that's a really exciting opportunity. Like the, you can make a case, this is the worst tent is ever going to be. You know what I mean? Like we have that spirit of, of iterative improvement. We're only going to get better. Yeah, for sure. Is there an online relationship that you have with the patient? Uh, do you call them patients, for example? What do you yeah, call, call them members, but sure. Members, yeah. 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 Um, is there an online relationship that you guys have, like between visits that's not just marketing? So like a virtual component? Yeah. Is there care being well, we, delivered in we, some we, capacity? Like, we've, we've tried it a few times. Um, we were doing some like virtual consults for ortho, because like your first conversation could be had in a digital environment. Um, we've done some aesthetic consultations as well. Just like first talk to me, like what would a veneer process look like? And am I even eligible? And on, in digital, you can kind of do that. Um, during maybe the depths of COVID, uh, there are a lot of people who had like emergencies, but didn't have access to care. Um, and a lot of people end up going to the emergency room, but people didn't want to do that during COVID. So we made sure. virtual available. Um, dentistry, though, really is an in-person delivery model. Um, yeah. well, I think almost the role of virtual is to maybe hopefully put someone at ease to then say, hey, come and see us so that we can take a look. Because you got to take photographs, you got to take x-rays, you need someone to do an evaluation, yeah. you know, so it's hard to get away from that physical requirement in this category. Makes things easier for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we love it. I mean, we, we talk about it. I mean, we, probably every few months we're like, well, how do we add this in as part of the mix? Um, and then it's, you know, there are just other priorities right now, you know, with the with the on the ground teams. Yeah, taking that same lens, I'm curious. You've mentioned this marketing loops concept. Is there uh, either data or 
strategies that have worked or failed that you feel you've had access to because you've been building out your own technology versus just like picking a EMR off the shelf or something that was already pre-built? Maybe. I mean, maybe you're just like, you have proximity that's helpful, right? In, in building campaigns. Um, you know, referral is tricky, you know, as, as a loop because in, in healthcare, it's governed at the state level. And so in some states, there's more permission to do referral in other states, less so. So we almost have to be like, have that agility to customize programs by location, just because dental is regulated at the state level and each state board has slightly different governance models. So if we didn't kind of have that internal agility, um, we probably wouldn't be able to do it, um, which is really, really helpful. Um, also, I think the ability to like look at leads and personal information, you know, that then allows us to kind of build out custom, hopefully personalized communication. So you're not just getting one size fits all um, does allow us to better bring the brand brand to life for those individuals. So I think, you know, putting engineering front and center from the beginning, kind of, we did layer in some tools that probably were a little bit big for us when we only had one practice. Um, I think over time, those bets pay off more, you know, not less. They probably looked a little goofy early on, too expensive. <laughs> but, you know, then today you have the horsepower to do a lot of this stuff, um, which is really, really great. Any layers you can peel back on, on those tools? I think that's a common conversation we have kind of the when appropriate to invest in certain technologies. Yeah, I, I think in this category, and I, I don't know if this is where you're taking it, but buy versus build is a is a question, right? So like patient management system, that is really complicated. You know, is that something that we should build or is that something that we should buy? Um, doesn't mean that there isn't then customization we can do on top of it, but that's not our trade, right? And so we do work with the third party it's an API-enabled patient management system, which is really cool. We're one of the first clients to ever get it. We're doing more innovative stuff with it probably than anybody else. We then built a bunch of stuff on top of it, right? And, you know, that that is a reasonable uh, way to do it. You know, we do have a we, – we call it 10 Core, which is our, you know, data warehouse. And that, that's how you start to feed it. So it's like the architecture of the system and then, you know, where then you put that data allows us to um, do, I think, better analysis – drive deeper insights, um, you know, we're not just kind of like two steps back, you know, I mean, there's really analysts right on the front line looking at all this stuff, you know, BI was front and center. Um, we do use Looker as a, as a data visualization tool. So that's, again, another thing, buy versus build, you know, that's not a core competency of 10. We are a, a dental delivery service. And so I think you just have to be smart on how you structure your tech stack. And you reference one medical, even as in as the team is in investors too, is that uh, decisions that kind of came from, they're always seen as a darling in the space and that they had their own proprietary technology. Was there decisions made in that kind of buy so versus I, build so, from some of that? Yeah. So how I understand it, and a little hearsay is that at first they bought, then they built, at least for patient management, and that was hard. And who knows, maybe today it's a huge advantage. Um but I heard that process is was hard and, you know, a lot of resources and starts and stops and, and things like that. So I, I respect uh, the outcome probably, um, but I did hear it was hard. And so you just have to say, like, if and when you do it. I mean, I have a bias for building internal capabilities, whether that's a resource or a team. I, I just do because I think you, when you get end-to-end -end ownership, right, and you can kind of build it into what you need, not compromise. Like, well, that's a trade-off because 
you know, it's a third party and they have to offer it to a variety of clients. Um, but, you know, when you're young and growing quickly as a company and you're hiring and you're trying to build out locations, can you also take on such a cumbersome project? I don't know. I think that would be a tough call to make um, because if I move more towards, say, what an early stage growth concept is, distractions can sometimes be the company's undoing. And you, you, it may have had the purest of intentions, but then said, oh, boy, we're so deep into this. This is this is a mistake, you know, um, and that can be very painful. Yeah, some good insight in that. That definitely falls outside of just the marketing category. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think everyone is in marketing always looking for, like, what's the one thing that's going to work for me, right? Every, every marketer is like, oh, if there's a channel, if there's a tool, like, oh, is it like multi-touch attribution? Do you have someone for that? Like, you know, because then we know where to spend or, you know, marketing mix models. And like, I don't think it quite works that way. Like, I do think it's about the like culture of a team and the KPI assignment. And then, you know, you kind of help them because it's like all the things together, right? It's not like, well, everyone, every, everyone is chasing AI right now. Let's see what happens. Let's see, let's see what happens. I think some people are probably going to make some pretty bad mistakes coming up. You know, um, maybe it's not good for brand writing. You know, I mean, we're looking at it, of course, but like, you know, I think there's a little bit of a chase in marketing. And I think sometimes if you just kind of take a step back and say, okay, well, how would this fit in our ecosystem? And how do we test into it and learn about it? You know, then you'll probably de-risk, you know, performance. And I think that's actually more important than just going, oh, man, we, we, we got to be the first person to do AI. Matt, really quickly, uh, the business model um, for Tend is uh, is what? Uh, so, I mean, we do work with payers. So I would say we're mostly in-network uh, PPO plans. Um, Nashville is the one market where we're testing out of network to see how that influences uh, behavior. Uh, and then, of course, you know, it's, you know, out-of-pocket responsibility. So on restorative, ortho, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's the that's the model for now. Okay. And, you know, One Medical was able to convince uh, consumers that, you know, a yearly membership fee uh, uh, got them something really special. Um, do you guys have uh, any sort of thoughts around that for dentistry? So we've yeah, we've looked at membership a couple different times. You know, One Medical, and I think they're 14, 15 years old at this point, uh, started with direct-to-consumer and then evolved into kind of a membership. A lot of that membership is done through B2B business development, right? So the employer mostly pays the annual fee to then enable access uh, to One Medical. Um, so we've looked at that. You know, dental's a little trickier just because HR's willingness to pay cost per head per month is, is a lot lower, very much a cost center. Also, is there a yeah. willingness to have a dental membership as well? Our, current acquisition is so efficient that like is that would that be needed to help drive better behavior um one thing that is interesting is direct relationships with employers so like if you actually just say like hey we want to like talk to fill an abc corp and say like hey if we had a direct relationship with you how would you think about structuring it i think that could be interesting as a slightly different business model um but i think the way we started is is great it throws off a lot of learnings and a lot of volume and you know we can now start to make informed judgments on like okay if we change the model evolve the model how would we do that you know and i, I think we're getting to that point i think you know at 25 in today's environment on a path to profitability 
what's the optimal model without impairing the provider experience or the standard of care. Thanks for so, so much for joining us, Matt. We appreciate the time and uh, best of luck with TEND. Thank you so much. This was an absolute blast. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Health Impressions, Authority, Acquisition, Retention. We hope you found the conversation insightful and thought-provoking. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review. Your feedback will only help us improve the show. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on social media or you can send us an email at media at titlehealthgroup.com. T-I-D-A-L healthgroup.com. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep pushing the boundaries of your knowledge. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you again soon.